welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com, swindling suckers with missiles and motor cars. We've got that story plus a different kind of dispute over royalties. But first, New World Next Week listener on the tweets at Sapient Diaspora gives us our first story this week by saying, the banksters, social engineering mercenaries next trick? arbitrary mental illness labeling coming to any inconvenient social media post by you with complimentary kidnapping and indefinite confinement with no habeas corpus. What are they talking about? The county sheriff in charge of investigating the mass shooting in Parkland, Florida, pleaded with lawmakers to give police and doctors more power to involuntarily hospitalize people for psychiatric evaluation over violent and threatening social media posts. The sheriff, Scott Israel of Broward County, Florida, described the accused shooter's social media posts as very disturbing at a news conference and asked state and federal legislators to expand the state's Baker Act, which says a person can be detained against their will for up to 72 hours under certain circumstances. Israel said the Baker Act allows law enforcement or medical professionals to confine a person involuntarily but you have to have a reason. You have to be able to articulate that they're a threat to themselves or a threat to someone else. Israel pleaded with lawmakers in Tallahassee, the state's capital, and Washington to give police the power to detain people. So from the press conference, I, you know, I enjoy reading quotes from people, but I think we should just kind of hear it straight from Israel's mouth. If they see something on social media, if they see graphic pictures of rifles and blood and gore and guns and bombs, if they see something, horrific language, if they see a person talking about, I want to grow up to be a serial killer, we need to have the power to take that person and bring them before mental health professionals at that particular time, involuntarily, and have them examined. We need to have the power to take that person and bring them before mental health professionals at that particular time involuntarily and have them examined. I think that's pretty stunning just to kind of hear it come right out there. And we'll include the links to that kind of short press conference clip, about a two minute clip. Florida Sheriff Scott Israel pleads for power to detain people for social media threats. He also does a little bit of a longer bit, an eight minute clip on MSNBCIA, if you can stomach that whole thing. James, this is all in pretty serious. This latest event after, of course, Las Vegas seems like such a giant sand trap for everybody potting on. I just got an email from a listener saying Republican aide fired after saying Parkland survivors were actors. James. Yeah, it is uh, a, an absolute crazy mess right now. And this is a threat that you can't imagine anyone would go for here in the 21st century. Yes, let's give the government the power to decide based on your social media posts whether you should be brought in uh, for for mental health uh, examination. Uh, I, I think the immediate and obvious historical parallel is uh, Soviet Union where they made dissent against the state an uh, actual men mental illness. You must be mentally ill if you were against the wonderful, glorious Soviet government. Um, and that, what, whatever kind of straw man people want to throw out or whatever, however much people want to laugh at that idea, oh, we're not there yet. Are you saying we're living in that kind of power? The, the point of this is whenever you give a power to a police authority or a government, imagine that power being in the hands of the worst 
most vicious psychopathic scum that you would never want to have that power because it will eventually end up there. So I don't think anyone in our audience is going to be rooting for this, but uh, the idea that this is even being floated now is total insanity. When you and you talk about those powers being given, that's what's, you know, sort of weaponized the Trump train so much is because he's got 16 years of the previous guys adding on all kinds of affronts to any kind of civil liberties. And again, they each kind of prop each other up. One fake party kind of props the other up. But it's a very terrible lean to a couple of other kind of related cyberspace war headlines I want to include into this. And James, maybe much like last week, this first sort of set of stories could have probably been expanded out and been an entire New World Next Week episode. Hashtag Twitter lockout claims hundreds of conservative users falsely named as bots. And a really good bad one from New World Next Week listener David Day. Bad news. The game researchers hope will vaccinate public against fake news. Cambridge researchers have built an online game simply titled Bad News in which players compete to become a disinformation and fake news tycoon. By shedding light on the shady practices, they hope the game will vaccinate, that's their words in the article, vaccinate the public and make them immune to the spread of truths. Second story this week on New World Next Week, episode 338, or our second set of stories, as it were, comes from David Carroll, New World Next Week listener, who first points out a kind of regular, kind of heart-wrenching, black-and-white, kind of stark geopolitical magazine cover photo and kind of equally emotional article from The Economist. Africa's broken heart. Congo is sliding back to bloodshed. How to stop a catastrophe. That's that's just the headline. That's just the article name. No conflict since the 1940s has been bloodier, yet few have been more completely ignored. Estimates of the death toll in Congo between 1998 and 2003 range from roughly a million to more than five million. No one counted the corpses. Taking the midpoint, the cost in lives was higher than that in Syria, Iraq, Vietnam, or Korea. Yet scarcely any outsider has a clue what the fighting was about or who's killing whom, which is a tragedy because the great war at the heart of Africa might be about to start again. And even as I was doing the prep for this episode, James, I had seen the cover photo of The Economist, and I went looking for the article. Again, all all the notes and links will be included in the show notes. They have multiple versions of this kind of story. The war in Africa is about to heat up. Africa's heart. Africa's broken heart. All these things kind of building up. This article we're citing essentially goes on to say, please, Mr. Trump, do this. Please, United Nations, do that. But it's another article from an obscure website called Northern Miner that David Carroll points out that maybe, just maybe, there could be a connection between that story and this story. A new mining code in the Democratic Republic of the Congo that would raise royalties on metals and eliminate a stability clause enshrined in the previous 2002 charter that protects mining companies from changes to the code for 10 years is rattling mining companies and investors. Big companies in big places in big states like Rangold Resources, Ivanhoe Mines, and something we've mentioned before, Australia's Glencore, all among them joining together to make a formal lobbying group to the government. So, James, it's an interesting bit, an interesting juxtaposition. You see these two stories, Africa's broken heart. And again, talked about this many, many times. We got to go get that bad Coney guy, right? Is this just a Coney repeat, maybe? Well, it certainly has historical parallels. So I'm not going to pretend to be a Congo expert or up on what it, what the latest you know political moves and, and uh, military actions there are. 
Um, mental note to self, probably a good time to get Keith Herman Snow back on the program. But I can put this in the perspective of uh, certainly why is mining in Congo important? Um, well, if you don't know, your fondle slab is probably made from components that were uh, mined by child labor in the Congo, uh, cobalt being one of the key uh, elements that are used in smartphone construction. And hey, guess what? Uh, absolutely, Congo is the world's largest uh, cobalt producer, and uh, as many as 40,000 children are working in the mines there. So that's where it comes from, and it is obviously an extremely important uh, part of the supply chain for uh, some of these ones that are further up to the ladder than the, you know, the, the, the Glencores and companies like that. So, you know, ultimately this goes to the apples and what have you. But at any rate, that's why this is geostrategically important at the moment to make sure that there is a friendly government in power and to make sure that the country does... Uh, chaos is fine, just as long as we can get our minerals out, you know, cheaply. And of course, I think the real historical precedent and parallel that we should be looking at is... Smedley Butler talking about war as a racket, talking about he was a gangster for capitalism, talking about how we went into, you know, this country for Chiquita Banana, and we went into this country for the mining interests, and we went into this country. It's the same thing. The game certainly hasn't changed. The faces have changed. Maybe the locations have changed, but absolutely, it's the exact same thing that we've seen, uh, unfortunately, for a very, very long time, and this is how it operates. So when they start amping up the, we gotta go into the Congo... You'll know what it's about. And you heard it here first on New World next week. So speaking of friendly governments in power, and again, because it's, again, that so those sort of systems that sort of work in tandem and, and prop each other up, and you're not really going to stop one without looking at the other and the other and the other. We've been talking a bit, James, in the recent sort of about the kind of automotive world order coming. And I see these stories kind of continuing to pile. So I want to put together a few different data points here on our last story. Something I kind of went into on my morning show, but I want to kind of expand on it a little bit. Lockheed Martin got $35 billion from taxpayers last year. Now, this comes from the Bilderberg Mockingbird Amazon Post in their latest round. Of course, selective outrage slash selective investigative journalism. They report that of Lockheed Martin's $51 billion in sales last year, 70% of that, $35.2 billion, came from sales to the U.S. government. Lockheed's government sales are nearly what the Trump administration proposed for the State Department next year in its recently released spending plan, or $15 billion more than all of NASA or about the gross domestic product of Bolivia. So an interesting bit to go along with this and what this article kind of gets into is the big F-35 kind of boondoggle, the jet from Lockheed, how Lockheed swindles taxpayers, a video from Robert Greenwald. And going through all this, that's when I remembered, we've talked about this before, they're making missiles and killer weapons that you can't really boycott because you don't choose to buy them in the first place. Money stolen from us by those evil minds that plot destruction and then given to the sorcerers of death's construction. And I think about this a lot. I talk about this a lot. The fridge is the medicine cabinet, and that's why, again, our biggest success, I think, has been in the pushback against kind of the food world order, not buying their poison pharma food. It's a lot harder to boycott private military contractors. So that's why we maybe have to get a little more kind of creative at it. We talked two weeks ago about that Ohio court finding red light camera fines unconstitutional forcing city to refund all tickets. And here's what I'm kind of driving at here. Private military contractors like Lockheed Martin own the cameras and the contracts for LED, red light cameras in a lot of states, and they've been caught time and time again kind of gaming the numbers. Gaming the numbers meaning lowering the amount of yellow light time 
which results in not only more ticket revenue for the city and therefore for Lockheed, but it also results in increased traffic fatalities. An article from Media Monarchy two months shy of a decade ago posted to Media Monarchy, six U.S. cities tamper with traffic cameras for profit. Six U.S. cities have been found guilty of shortening the amber cycles below what is allowed by law on intersections equipped with cameras meant to catch red light runners. So here's one from July 2001, a couple of months before all the private military contractors would pretty much get a blank check. So we were heading up on 9-11. Motorists.org reported in July of 2001, revenue drives red light cameras, not safety. And one of the guys in the article quoted, I find it very revealing that Lockheed Martin, one of the biggest manufacturers of red light cameras in the U.S., has included clauses in their contracts that prohibit city engineers from applying engineering practices that improve compliance and reduce accidents, apparently to maintain the flow of ticket camera revenue. Lockheed Martin specifically prohibits cities such as San Diego, California, from changing the timing of yellow lights and in intersections that host their cameras, even though decreasing or rather increasing the yellow light times proven to dramatically decrease red light violations. There's even one more from September of 2011. Massachusetts sacrifices safety so police can write more tickets. The article says, when the state sign says, obey the speed limit for safety, that's not just a lie, but a malicious lie. A statement made with knowledge that it is false and with reckless regard for the consequences. So big picture here, the same folks that kill women and children in third world countries kind of kill women and children here with the red light cameras. The only possible solution I can kind of think of is this, looking into the contracts, looking into who owns your city's contracts with the red light cameras. I would bet you maybe one or two milkshakes that in some of the towns, people will find that their city is already in a little bit of trouble and they're starting to look at maybe some of the shady practices, sketchy technologies and no bid contracts. It kind of happened here in Portland, James, as it related just to the uh, parking meters. So not a life or death situation, but again, another example of just massive graft. We're all right in our backyards. Well, there is a way to boycott or at least to affect the payments that go to these com companies, James. An easy one. Please. Voting. You vote in the candidate that says they're going to wind up the American military empire. We're not going to waste money spending on these foreign interventions. And they're going to stop spending all the money on Lockheed and their, their brethren in the military industrial complex. And it'll go away, right? You vote. You vote harder and harder and harder until it happens. Make America great again. Trump said he was going to stop wasting money in Syria and places like that, right? I mean, oh, well, okay, that didn't quite work out. So just go back to the voting box in a few years and... You can try again. It'll be great. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. Um, obviously, there is no direct control other than, of course, not paying taxes, which would be quite a statement. And maybe if that was made in large enough numbers, that statement would be heard. But at any rate, um, for people who don't know about when they hear a phrase like military industrial complex, we've heard it so many times, it's kind of meaningless at this point. You don't think about how that works. But the point is, these tens of billions of dollar contracts that these companies have are not just left up to chance. They aren't just kind of, oh, you know, maybe, I hope we'll have a candidate in there that'll get, get into office that'll maybe want to buy some of our stuff. They make it happen. They make policies happen to set up wars so that they can sell their goods, their bads, 
to the government. That is the that is their business model. And it, it again, this is not this isn't an airy fairy connection. This is really well documented, especially and specifically in the Lockheed case. So I'm going to direct people to uh, an excellent article from 2007 by Richard Cummins, uh, Lockheed Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, which was published in Playboy. I only read it for the articles, but it's up on corpwatch.org. And uh, he goes through how in the wake of a debacle over a plane that they were developing that didn't really work, um, they decided, hey, we're never going to do this again. We are going to set We're going to make sure that we help to set the policy, the foreign policy of the United States to maneuver it into wars so we can sell our goods to the government. And they they have done so. And when you look at those connections, it's undeniable. That is the military-industrial complex, and that's how it functions. So it's really important not to just dismiss, oh, you know, it's just business as usual. Well, it shouldn't be. And absolutely anything, anything we can do to derail it or to uh, to in any way put uh, pennies on the track of that freight train that's barreling down uh, towards the destruction of Yemen or Syria or whoever's next on the chopping block is is something we have to be doing. This is this is life and death for people all over the world. Mm-hmm. So in keeping on that solutions-oriented track, we'll, in closing here, a little bit of solutions-oriented notes. My latest episode of Good News Next Week, New Life for Old Records. Bad Baltimore cops will have to pay back their victims themselves instead of using taxpayer money. Kansas libraries are giving thousands of records to the Great 78 Project, a story, of course, I really enjoy. Colorado wildlife are using crosswalks to save lives. And I will conclude all my own personal horn honking here by one more time mentioning my daily news show, The Morning Monarchy, where I want to note back on February 1st, almost two weeks before Corbett Report's recent Newsweek coverage, we reported... Manhattan DA raids Newsweek headquarters, ties to alleged cult leader. What I mean to say is I I like to think of Media Monarchy as sort of the long-running kind of data mining information operation that hopefully gives outlets like Corporate Report or Tragedy and Hope or anyone and everyone else out there the sort of maybe seemingly mundane tidbits that can then become the investigative trail as you start to see the data points start to connect. Or like maybe someone said in my chat room the other day, this is my hard sell, James, two of the reasons that Media Monarchy is better than NPR, better music, and lots of swears. Everything's at MediaMonarchy.com slash support. James, I believe you do have a little bit of deprogramming notes here for us at the end. Well, that's right. Uh, Just because of the way schedules are working with various people moving to various places, including yourself, uh, we are not going to be doing New World next week for the next few weeks, perhaps several weeks. It's going to be a while. Uh, There will be none uh, released in March, I believe. So we'll probably not reconvene until April. So uh, I hope you guys got your New World Next Week fix in this week and uh, hang in there. We'll be back in a few weeks. All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks.